You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first, some breaking news out of Toronto where Mayor John Tory has stepped down after the Toronto Star exposed a sex scandal. At a hastily called news conference a short time ago, Tory admitted to having an inappropriate relationship with a 31 year old city staffer during the pandemic. He says the relationship ended earlier this year by mutual consent and the employee has since left for another job elsewhere. I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. It came at a time when Barb, my wife of 40 plus years and I were enduring many lengthy periods apart while I carried out my responsibilities during the pandemic. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. The resignation comes again after a report published today in the Toronto Star. Tory was first elected in 2014 and was subsequently re-elected in 2018 and 2022. The city's deputy mayor will now step into the role. Now, a B.C. woman is sharing her grief and the struggle to cope after losing more than 20 members of her family, including her husband, in the earthquake in Turkey. With rescue efforts continuing, she's hopeful other relatives might still be found. Catherine Urquhart has her story. In Adiyam, Turkey, the devastation is visible everywhere, and the impacts are being felt around the world including in Rosslyn, B.C. My sister-in-law informed me that two of my children's cousins passed away, and that's when it became real. The news got much worse. Inside one building, Cheryl's extended family had gathered for an engagement party. It came to a terrifying end as Monday's 7.8 magnitude earthquake shook that building to the point of collapse. Among those killed... 24 of the Rossland residents' relatives, including her husband, Meadrop. It's not losing just my husband. It's half of the family over there. There's more than 20 people within our family that we've lost because they were all in one apartment building. And that night, they, some of them weren't even supposed to be there. Cheryl and her children moved back to B.C. five years ago and fortunately were not in Turkey at the time. The family is now trying to process the overwhelming grief. I've just, you know, told my uh, children to do what they need to do at the time. We've all, my daughter is um, off school for a while. It's just too, nobody can focus on anything. Uh, my son's taking a break from work. Frantic rescue efforts are continuing and Cheryl is trying to remain hopeful that some family will be found alive. You know, we don't know if any family will be recovered. I mean, the building was flattened more on the bottom and they still have a few more levels to get through. So I've heard it doesn't look promising. As the death toll mounts in a DIM, Cheryl's friends are trying to support her financially with a GoFundMe. But each day brings a grimmer reality that survival is increasingly less likely. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, there are still some remarkable stories of survival, and the volunteer Burnaby Search and Rescue team was part of one, helping pull a woman alive from the rubble close to where Cheryl Forrest lost so many of her relatives. 
But as Sarah McDonald reports, Vancouver's heavy urban search and rescue team has still not been dispatched to the international crisis zone. From the scenes of devastation in Turkey, a remarkable one of hope emerged from beneath the rubble on Friday. An image of survival amid growing despair and a mounting death toll in the wake of a 7.8 magnitude quake that has killed tens of thousands of people and counting. The bottom three or four floors in all these buildings have all collapsed. And then the top floors have just kind of settled on top of them. So she was in one of those floors. They drilled through the floor, um, brought her up and pulled her out. The crew credited in part with this rescue in the southeastern city of Adiyaman is one of our own. Ready for us to load the the volunteer Burnaby Urban Search and Rescue Team, which went wheels up to ground zero earlier this week. The reason we're doing this is because we feel we're pretty lucky to live where we are. Meanwhile, there's another much larger team of highly skilled professionals that hasn't left Vancouver. Specially trained to respond to disasters exactly like this, but still on the ground in Canada well past that crucial window for rescue. Our team is most valuable in that uh, first 72-hour period uh, where we can use our technical search abilities. But the government-funded Heavy Urban Search and Rescue Team, last utilized at this roof collapse in Vancouver six months ago, is still waiting on the proper accreditation from an international agency to travel on short notice. The last international deployment of the team, made up of some 150 members, was in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. We are ready and, and able to respond uh, municipally here, uh, provincially, as well as federally, and there are less barriers uh, to respond in those regions. What is more challenging, however, is deploying the team to an international uh, region. The federal government's not responding to Global News requests for comment on the matter by deadline, as every moment counts here, where hundreds of people have been found alive in the past few days. We're still here, we're still putting the time in, and nobody's given up. With that window for survival quickly closing. Sarah McDonald, Global News. So many people need help, and if you can, donate to the Humanitarian Coalition. It brings together verified organizations, including Oxfam Canada. Just go to their website, together.ca, or you can call 1-855-461-2154. A controversial Vancouver Island doctor is again making headlines in his fight with Island Health and the Health Ministry. Just days after his privileges at the Port Hardy Emergency Department were revoked, Dr. Alex Natteris says he's opening a standalone clinic in that community. But as Kristen Robinson reports, Island Health says it has placed Natteris under investigation over patient safety concerns. Dr. Alex Natteris and his canine companion, who he says is registered to become a service dog, joining the B.C. Green Party leader, to announce he's planning to open his own health clinic in Port Hardy's Thunderbird Mall. And we will be establishing a non-profit community health centre located on Quagul territory with the firm and steady support of Port Hardy's Rotary community. He has been an advocate for a community that has been deeply underserved by our healthcare system. Natteris is under investigation by his employer, Island Health, over serious allegations involving patient care. The dispute began in January when Natteris went public with concerns he would soon be the only ER doctor left in Port Hardy and asked the province to approve the hiring of a physician assistant. I'm Dr. Ben Williams. Earlier this month, Natteris called for the resignation of the area's chief medical officer, 
claiming a litany of problems, including harassment of doctors by island health officials, is causing physicians to abandon the region. I am not going anywhere. Island Health says Natteris then claimed his emergency department privileges were suspended because of his comments about Ben Williams and or his dog being in the workplace. Williams fired back, saying a very serious complaint regarding Natteris's patient care surfaced in January. An investigation was launched and Island Health received correspondence from other members of the care team that raised concerns regarding patient safety and Dr. Natteris. Williams determined there's a serious concern for patient safety and restricted Natteris from working in Island Health Emergency while a fulsome investigation takes place. My care was appropriate and there were no adverse outcomes. Is this doctor still building MSB while under investigation? Well, remember, only, he hasn't been suspended as a doctor. He's simply his privileges at uh, emergency rooms have been, uh, uh, are suspended for the moment. Natteris says he wants to work in emergency, but that decision will be made by Island Health. Meantime, he's hired a physician assistant he hopes will join him and two other doctors at the new Port Hardy Clinic by June 1st. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A small First Nation on northern Vancouver Island has declared a state of emergency decimated by the impact of drugs and alcohol. The Ahadassat First Nation says six young members have recently died from a drug overdose. The nation is calling on the feds and the province to sit down with them to find resources to build a survival plan. Chief Simon John says the crisis is connected to the intergenerational effects of residential schools and colonialism on its members. BC's toxic drug crisis is disproportionately affecting Indigenous people who are dying at a rate five times higher than the general population. A Langley mother and father are telling another health care horror story after spending hours in the ER with their extremely sick toddler. As Travis Prasad reports, they say despite the fact her condition was worsening, they only got help when they got angry. It's hard because she's looking at me for help. I couldn't give it to her. And uh, it hurt me because I was lucky to bring my baby home. Two-year-old Gracie struggles to breathe at Langley Memorial Hospital on January 26th. Her dad rushed her to the emergency around 3.30 p.m. She was having a lot of trouble breathing. Um, she was taking two breaths at a time. Joel Ackley says after two hours of waiting at the ER, Gracie's vitals were checked. She had a fever of 103. A nurse gave her Tylenol to help bring it down. We noticed Gracie was declining. Uh, she was going into our arms, very, very rosy cheeks, gasping for air. Her breathing difficulties continue, and still she hasn't seen a doctor. Ackley's frustration grows. My voice, they get a little high, saying I'm, I'm panicked. I can't, my, my daughter can't breathe. What do we do? Ackley says by the time a doctor arrived and ordered an X-ray that confirmed Gracie had pneumonia, they had been at the ER for nearly nine hours. We hope that no child has to wait uh, you know, a significant length of time. Fraser Health is pointing to ongoing staffing issues amid a busy respiratory season. I can't speak to the specifics of the case, but I would just say that there are times um, way outside of our control that, that a lot of patients show up at once or the department is really busy, uh, either with a high volume of patients or very, very sick patients. She should have been seen 
especially a child, should have been seen right away. As soon as she checked in, she should have had her vitals checked. Gracie was also diagnosed with RSV and asthma. As the family awaits more test results, they want answers from the hospital. Let's figure this out and get something going for everybody so that we're not left in the dark wondering if we go to the hospital, are we going to walk out? Let's go. Two weeks later, Gracie appears to be on the mend, but the family fears others may not be so lucky. Travis Prasad, Global News. Good to see Gracie doing better. All right, perhaps to distract from stories like that, the provincial government spending spree continues with the Premier announcing a new fund to support infrastructure in B.C. municipalities. And for more, we'll bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, tell us about this $1 billion grant program and where the money will be going. Yeah, this is unprecedented. I've never seen anything like this before, Chris. This is a billion dollars available to 188 municipalities between now and March 31st. Why that date's important, I'll talk about that later. But here's uh, what's uh, in terms of what it could fund with municipal uh, projects. We're talking about infrastructure projects, anything from new roads, water lines, sewers, parks, even recreational facilities. These municipalities can dip into this fund, make an application, and literally access a billion dollars. We've never seen this before. Premier David Eby saying today, while some People think with a global economic slowdown, now is the time to cut back. He thinks precisely the opposite is required. People need services, and that's what this, this fund's going to provide. Some will say that we need to respond to the global slowdown that we're anticipating by pulling back, by cutting services, by downloading infrastructure costs to cities and local taxpayers, or privatizing services so that people have to pay out of pocket to access uh, the things that make life fun. And, and enjoyable in our communities. But that would make many of our challenges worse, not better. And it would pass down costs at a time when people can least afford it. There's too much at stake right now. Certainly seems like we're hearing a lot of these announcements lately. Mm -hmm. Keith, do you think they're going to continue? I think they will. So what's happening? You heard me mention a reference March 31st. That's the end of the fiscal year. The government right now sitting on a massive surplus of about $6 billion. If it doesn't spend that money between now and March 31st, it disappears in terms of it's automatically applied against the provincial debt. You don't get a big political bang for your buck for applying it to the debt. You do, however, for doling out grants such as this, billion dollars here, billion dollars there. There's going to be more announcements, I think, between now and March 31st. This is tied to an accounting rule. It's not tied to election timing. There are people who think this is all part of a pre-election campaign. I don't think it is. I've not yet to talk to a single person in the government who's heard any rumblings about an early election being called. And further to that, on February 28th is the next budget. It's going to be nowhere near as rosy of set of books as we currently have right now. We're not going to have a surplus. We're going to have a big deficit. That's not an election budget or at least a budget to take into an election campaign. So no election, but more spending announcements. Make hay while the sun is shining, I've heard said many times <laughs> yeah. before. Keith, thanks very much. Uh, and a new poll shows David Eby's NDP still has a lot of support. The online survey found 44% of decided voters would cast a ballot for the NDP candidate in their riding if the election was held today. 36% say they'll support the B.C. Liberals and 16% the B.C. Greens. Those findings have barely changed at all from a similar poll conducted last October when John Horgan was still Premier. Our story on foreign doctors unable to practice in Canada really struck a chord. My dream was going away. Right after it ran last night, someone stepped up to cover the thousands of dollars in fees to get recertified. The doctor's heartwarming reaction coming up next on the News Hour. 
Oh, they've got all the right moves. Teaching kids the cultural history of hip hop 50 years after it began. That's later on the news hour. And a new way to do disaster recovery temporary housing for Merritt residents who've been homeless for far too long. That's later as well. Right now, though, an emotional update to a story we brought you yesterday about two internationally trained doctors struggling to get their certification here in Canada, a process that costs each more than $10,000. After we aired the story, many viewers reached out offering to help, and one person wrote two big checks. Paul Johnson has the reaction. I'm cleaning schools. Uh, I've been doing that for eight months. Sometimes the world works in astonishing and magnificent ways. I have been uh, a cleaner. Then after I worked in constructions. Thursday, we told you the stories of Marina Lucerarian and Loisel Aguero, two doctors from South America who'd been struggling to get certified to practice in Canada. They expected it would be hard, but what they didn't expect was the cost. It's money. I think the, problem, the big problem here is money. About 10 grand each to get through the thicket of tests and certifications. Money neither of them has. On Friday, we asked the Premier about the situation. There's a, a potential for us to do even more around recognizing credentials faster from certain countries. Uh, we're doing that work right now. And the Ministry of Health told Global News about a number of steps they're taking to speed up the process. But there's the speed of government, and then there's the speed of inspired people. Since we ran that first story, we heard from a lot of viewers offering to pay with their own money including one lawyer who said, come down and meet me right now. So I just met with a benefactor here in Vancouver who chooses to remain anonymous, and he handed me these. Each one is a check for $10,000 made out to each of the doctors with one string attached, but the money gets used to help them get through the certification process here in Canada. So it was back to the Burnaby home of Dr. Lou Serarian, who was up the previous night cleaning a school. One for you, one for Loisel. This is a miracle. I, I, I don't have more words. It's just a miracle. And I want to thank this person. While the two young doctors had found formal success in Canada can be tough to come by, the generosity of Canadians is an entirely different thing. Thank you so much. God bless you. In Burnaby. Paul Johnson, Global News. A B.C. photojournalist is caught in the middle of one of the world's hotspots on an assignment he never expected. Michael Bednar traveled to Peru to do a story on the indigenous culture of the Andes, but when former president Pedro Castillo was arrested, accused of staging a coup, and his former running mate, Dina Bolwarte, took office, he pivoted to covering the country's political crisis and the government's deadly crackdown on demonstrators that has killed at least 58 people. The people who are fighting feel like they're fighting for democracy because they feel like it's moving towards a dictatorship. The majority of the people are simple people who are not terrorists. I think it's important to have international eyes on what's happening. Bednar sold his home and many of his belongings for the trip. He says he remains committed to showing the Peruvian conflict to the world through his camera lens. 
Just ahead, searching for scammers. What they did that has police posting their images everywhere. And where the morning commute began with a bang and how it could impact the weekend traffic too. Currently impacting the Knight Street Bridge. Southbound at the south end, it's completely blocked by the dump truck that hit the Canby overpass. This is what's resulted, is a lot of extra volume in both directions. Traffic is being detoured onto the Bridgeport off-ramp instead. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Knight Street Bridge. How many times have we seen this? Another commercial vehicle has struck an overpass, this time in Richmond. A dump truck with the bed raised ran into the Canby Street overpass going southbound on Knight Street about 7 o'clock this morning, completely blocking traffic in that direction and disrupting the entire morning commute for a lot of people. It took such a blow, the overpass will be closed in both directions until crews can determine its structural integrity. Fire crews and ambulance and an ambulance were on scene, but no word yet if anyone was injured. Vancouver police are releasing some pictures and surveillance video of a suspect in a scam that targets seniors. On January 13th, an 81-year-old Vancouver man got a phone call from a man identifying himself as a police officer. The victim was told to provide $12,000 in bail money because his grandson had been arrested. Later that day, a suspect came to the victim's door, collected the cash, and was caught on camera. So police are asking anyone who knows the man or sees him to call police. And police in New Westminster are investigating a very similar incident. On February 8th, a senior in that city also received a call from someone claiming to be a police officer who told them their grandchild had been arrested and needed bail money. A suspect met the senior outside their home to collect the cash. He's described as in his 30s, about six feet, three inches tall, with shoulder-length black hair pulled into a ponytail. The Vancouver Police Department confirms it's working with New West Police to determine if the two incidents of seniors being scammed are possibly connected. Well, families of the victims of a deadly tugboat sinking are marking the second anniversary of the tragedy by calling once again on Ottawa to tighten safety regulations. In February of 2021, the tug Ingenica went down in a storm near Kitimat while pulling a barge. 58-year-old Captain Troy Pearson and 25-year-old crew member Charlie Craig died. A third crew member survived. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union says in response to calls for increased safety, Transport Canada has only implemented a voluntary registration program that it says has been completely ineffective. And they're not regulated, they're uninspected, they're up and down the coast. You don't know if those people are certified, if they have enough crew, even if their uh, personal protective equipment works. And the reason that we're fighting is not only for Troy and Charlie's legacy, but also for the legacy and the future of many other people that are <clears throat> have been put in this situation, but also people that are uh, future uh, employees that that may have to go through a situation like this the company that owned the ingenica and one of its senior officials have been charged under the workers compensation act with a number of safety violations but the families of the victims say criminal charges should be laid also tonight flooded out merit residents get somewhere to rest
The boys, uh, they've been couch surfing with friends and stuff like that. The merit development that seems like a better way to do disaster recovery. The Patello Bridge is a great option for you tonight if you plan on taking it. It's moving well in both directions, just a little bit of volume southbound through the Queen's Park stretch on the approach. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $20 million. Lotto Max stream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Much of B.C. has moved on from the catastrophic flooding of November of 2021, but many people are still struggling more than a year later. In Merritt today, some good news for families who were flooded out during those disastrous storms, thanks to a program that's the first of its kind. Aaron MacArthur reports. Wow, nice and open. It doesn't compare to what they lost, but it sure beats living in a motel or a camped one-bedroom apartment. Cupboards, lots of cupboard space. Touring their temporary home, Noah Tardif with a sense of things finally getting back on track. We've been in this town for, what, a little over 14 years, yeah. right? Yeah. And we started with nothing here. The floods in November of 2021 forced the evacuation of the entire community of Merritt. When the water receded, hundreds of families were forced into major renovations or left with no homes at all. The community has tried something never seen before. 31 modular homes are being delivered as a temporary stopgap. We had to have housing quickly because uh, it's just, you know, if you're relying on contractors to build 31 houses in 18 months, it's never going to happen. So we had to go with the manufactured homes. Merritt is spending the bulk of $8.5 million in provincial funding to provide these homes. 130 families were identified as candidates to move away from emergency supports. 20 families ultimately went ahead with the program, which will see them pay $1,300 a month in subsidized rent. There is an option to purchase the homes at the end of this two-year program, but if they remain unsold, they will be used in the second phase of the plan to boost housing options for everyone in Merritt. And it was a lot of gears turning and a lot of really smart people uh, and past council and present council to get it done. So I'm very proud of all of us. While these homes are an important step in reshaping the community, there are still challenges protecting them from more flooding. None of the dikes in Merritt have been upgraded, and the riverbank remains exactly in the same state it was left after the devastating floods. The municipality looking to senior levels of government to approve the necessary funding. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, the Skip Hop brand Silver Lining Activity Gym has been recalled because of a choking hazard. The infant playmat has a raindrop piece hanging down that children have been putting in their mouths, causing a potential choking hazard. So far, 11 reports of incidents connected to that piece have been made to the company. Consumers are advised to cut that component off and reach out to the company for a $10 gift card as reimbursement, if you are so inclined. Coming up, 50 years of hip-hop. One and two and three and four. Teaching a whole new generation about the origins of this expressive art form next on the News Hour. And coming up in sports, a big announcement for UBC basketball that's going to help with recruiting. Hip hop is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, but it's more than just a genre of music. A local artist and educator is traveling the province teaching youth the history of hip hop and its roots in self-expression and healing. 
Michael Newman has the story. One, two, three, four. Today at L.A. Matheson Secondary, students are getting a lesson in the music and history of hip-hop. Origins is an interactive show led by musician and educator Ndidi Cascade, accompanied by local artists. Part education, part performance, the show gets both students' minds and bodies energized. It was really fun. It's, it's fun to get out of your comfort zone and really, like, put yourself in a situation where it's kind of awkward for you, but you learn from it, right? This whole vibe is reflective. The show aims to engage youth in the four multidisciplinary elements of hip-hop. I think it's really important for us to show the young ones that hip-hop goes a bit more deep than they may see right now. Everybody knows it's the city we live. Uh, if we don't have the community, we yeah. won't just have that unity. Also embedded in the performance is a message of empowerment and resilience, connecting youth to the cultural history of black struggle and creativity that birthed the popular genre. It's a heart-centered music. It comes from a place of empowerment. It comes from a place where marginalized people had to find a voice on their own in order to speak to the entire planet. And now hip-hop is a global force, and young ones, they feel that. To show love, you gotta show empathy. That's it. I don't see a way of moving forward and teaching students how to be good citizens and, and how to actually believe in justice uh, without actually connecting to the idea that, that black joy and black excellence and, and black power is important. Hip-hop is celebrating 50 years. And this Black History Month, Ndidi hopes the show will inspire youth to relate to the tradition of the genre. We'll inspire these young ones to also look at the world and, and say to themselves, hey, I have a voice too, and I want to use my voice in some way to help humanity. Michael Newman, Global News. Wow. When you can get a bunch of high schoolers up and taking part like that, you're doing a great job. Well done. Uh, okay, let's check on the weather right now. I saw this photo in the studio on a monitor earlier and was just astounded by it. It's beautiful. I know. I had to start off with it, actually, Chris, because, mm -hmm. you know, we had such a beautiful Friday. It was so nice to see that blue sky, but we also had that risk of a downpour of rain and thunderstorm, and really, this was the most that transpired. A couple very towering cumulus clouds, but that was about it. So it really did turn out to be a stellar uh, Friday and sunset. So thank you to Tracy for sharing that great shot with us. All right. So things have settled down. We're going to see a clearing trend overnight. We can already see that on the radar imagery, and we'll see that across the region. It is going to cool off because of the clear skies tonight. So dropping down to three degrees, a little chilly for soccer players out there tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow during the day, we are going to see mainly dry conditions, but we will still see a fair amount of cloud. But I think you can expect it to be bright, dry certainly, but at least bright and you'll see some breaks of blue sky as well. There still is a chance of flurries on the mountain passes. So if you're traveling, make sure you're aware of that. But majority of the snowfall will be from Vailmont to sort of the McBride area and over to the Caribou Central Interior. And and at that, it's only two to four centimeters of snow for your Saturday. So there's your Saturday there. Rain across the North Coast region, that snow just for the Caribbean Central Interior. Look at the sunshine across the South. And for our region, we will see some cloud cover. It's a very slight chance of a shower in a few areas, but it's more like a sprinkle. Majority of that for Metro Vancouver would be along the mountains, and that's about it. So a great day for your Saturday, although cooler than what we saw today. Today, we reached a high of 10 degrees. Sunday, though, we are expecting periods of rain with uh, cooler 
cooler conditions, but looks like next week isn't all that dark. We should see some sunshine in the mix also. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Sycamus, uh, where this is a looking out of the shoe shop lake where this morning there was some nice mist over mm. the region. So thank you to Rose for sharing that with us. That is a pretty shot too. You're just knocking it out of the park. Those folks who send <laughs> photos in are doing a great job. All right, thanks. Christy Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Well, I kind of get the feeling, a lot of people do, that the Canucks would like to make Elias Pettersson the captain. And last night, he uh, did lead Vancouver past the Islanders. I talked to Petey. You know, you don't have to be the loudest guy, but if you do it on the ice, that's loud right there. And the game's under Rick Tockett so far. Pettersson has five goals and four assists. The Canucks, incidentally, play 9 o'clock in the morning tomorrow in Detroit. Good reason to get up a little earlier on the weekend. Also coming up, a Super Bowl preview in satellite debris. I'm a seat filler today. You are. <laughs> Sophie didn't grace us. Norm normally, she'd be right around here oh, somewhere. And I'd be or over, over there. there I'd be box. over there somewhere. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I am too. <laughs> anyway, it just balances things out rather nicely. So when Rick Tockett took over the head coaching job for the Vancouver Canucks, he did talk about not wanting his star players like Elias Pettersson to play too many minutes in a game. But... That seems to have already changed for Tockett because he does use Pedersen pretty much as much as Bruce Boudreau did when he was a coach. And last night in that 6-5 win over the Islanders, Pedersen played 23 minutes and 48 seconds. That's actually the most he's played in one game this season. But Tockett was very appreciative of his efforts. He had two goals and he showed leadership for the new coach. That's what leaders do, right? It's, uh, I talked to Petey. You know, you don't have to be the loudest guy, but if you do it on the ice, that's loud right there. To me, that's being loud, uh, showing your teammates, oh, I'm willing to do whatever. Uh, score. You know, he's got two goals tonight, too, and PK power play. Yeah, he's, uh, he led tonight. That's what leaders do. Three, we had three and four nights, and um, he was, uh, he's Petey. I mean, you can really, I thought he played really well, really well. Well, Vladimir Tarasenko is the newest New York Ranger, picked him up from the St. Louis Blues in a trade, and it took him two minutes and 49 seconds to get hugged by his new friends because he scored against Seattle. The Kraken are on basically that same New York, New Jersey road trip the Canucks are on. The Canucks have three points in the three games against the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders. The Kraken don't have a point at all in those three games for them. Well, Tiger Woods says he will play next week's Genesis Invitational Tournament in L.A., which is basically his event. This will be his first regular PGA tournament, not a major, regular event since October 20th of 2020. That means ticket sales and TV ratings go up. And it's not just fans who want to see him play. The other players after today's round in Phoenix all lit up when they found out Tiger Woods would be playing. Now the question is, how will his injured leg from that accident hold up in this tournament that's the big question okay 16th hole looks like you're playing at the roman coliseum of golf uh nick taylor of abbotsford he and adam hadwin of abbotsford were both minus five yesterday taylor on 10 chipping in from the shade yeah 
now in the sunlight. He goes long distance on the 16th hole, which means a big ovation. He's got six holes left in the second round. They had to stop today before uh, things got too dark. He's at six under par, but Adam Hadwin is two better than him. Nice birdie there for Adam Hadwin on the third, and then this is also a long birdie putt like his buddy Nick Taylor. This would take in the minus eight. He's tied with John Rahm for second behind Scotty Scheffler, who is done at minus 10. Hadwin has eight holes to go tomorrow before starting round number three. Well, UBC has been chosen to host the final eight for the National Basketball Championship in March of 2025. They will host both the men's and the women's tournaments, and that'll be the first time that one school has hosted both the men's and women's tournaments. Sport is all about opportunity, and there's a big one ahead for UBC basketball in 2025. By hosting the U-Sport Final Eight, that means automatic entry as host and two years to build a championship caliber team that can win a national title. We've got some holes to fill. We'll be graduating some this year. We'll be graduating a few more players next year. For us, we need to put on a, a, the great product, so it starts with recruiting. We want to have the horses. We want to be ready to put, on a, put the best team possible on the, on the floor. I mean, again, I don't think that anybody doesn't love the opportunity of hearing that you're going to have, A, that automatic berth, but also just the advantage or the edge of being comfortable when you're playing in the national championship, when at the end of the day, it's, it's one and done, right? You know, you win one game and you're in the semis and, you know, win another game and obviously you're playing for a medal. I don't get the leadership of Canada soccer. It constantly gives itself red cards from the national team players. Last year, you might remember when the men refused to play an exhibition game at BC Place because of financial issues. And today, the women's national team says it's prepared to take job action against Canada soccer because they found out funding was cut with the World Cup coming up this year. Canada soccer says it will have a meeting with the women tomorrow to discuss the issues. Uh, this was yesterday in France. Jack Crawford, or James Crawford, if you like. His friends call him Jack. Uh, this is at the World Championships in France. He won the Super G, which was an upset. He actually is more of a downhill specialist. He will be in the downhill Sunday. He is ranked sixth in that event, but here he gets the gold in Super G. And, of course, he won a bronze at the uh, last Winter Olympics. There you go. Just flying. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. A special Super Bowl edition of Satellite Breeze coming up next. It's a preview. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what he'll have tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, it is not a long weekend, but it sure looks like one at Tawasin Ferry Terminal. By 2.30 this afternoon, it was a six-and-a-half-hour wait for drivers who did not have a reservation between Tawasin and Swartz Bay. Part of the reason, both of the major spirit-class ferries are in refit at the same time, which doesn't typically happen. At 11, we'll tell you why BC Ferries says it had to be done this year. Also, big rigs hitting highway overpasses. It seems to be happening a lot around here. Tonight, what truckers say could be done to reduce the risk. Chris? Something's got to change, yeah. Jordan, right? Okay. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Look forward to that tonight. Squire's here with satellite debris to get us into the weekend. Super yes. Bowl weekend, yes. Squire. Yes, these will all be Super Bowl commercials, so consider them previews. And this one includes Will Ferrell. It's for G. 
GM and Netflix. So I'm guessing that's why Netflix doesn't want you to do the password thing anymore, because they had to pay Will Ferrell. So here we go. General Motors is going electric, and Netflix is joining in by including more EVs in their movies and shows. It's the least they can do. So if you're going to get swarmed by an army of the dead, why not get swarmed in an EV? No! I said no biting. Or if you're being voluntarily kidnapped, why not be kidnapped in an EV? What's that scent? Is it pine? Now, should they add EVs everywhere? They shallant. They shan't. Is it shallant or shan't? It's neither. What about here, Erica? You're ruining the show, you idiot. What do you mean? It's me, Dusty. You're not. Yeah, you're right. This is ridiculous. Tammy, wait. Later, loser. But anywhere else, it makes sense. There goes another runner. Brad was so much better for you. You should have gone with Brad. Yeah, Brad. Are you serious? Why not make more of those cars electric? It's the least they can do. <laughs> Gordon, you kill me. I mean, you literally did kill me. You know what? I'm glad you bit me, too. <laughs> All right, big names keep coming. We've got one uh, P. Diddy, mm. Puff Daddy. Whatever you like, depending on what area you're from. Um, and 50th Steve, anniversary of hip-hop well, 2023, why use, not? Whatever you like, uh, <laughs> use either. And Steve Martin. I think you're going to like your new nose, Miss Hastings. And cut. I'm Steve Martin. As an actor, it's my job to make people believe that what they're seeing is real. Ha! <laughs> <I, laughs> hey! That the frustration is real. Man, I'm hungry. <coughs> oh, the disappointment is real. One, two, three, four. Winner! Eat it, Kyle. You're all losers. That the joy is real, but it's not real. It's acting. Wow! It's fantastic! Or was I just acting? Only way to find out is to try it yourself. You want me to do a jingle? Oh, it's not a jingle. One hit for Uber One. No, that sounds like a jingle to me. Diddy, don't do jingles. We're talking about a hit song. Want a hit? Uber One can save you on rides and eats. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. That's cool. What else we got? Uber One saves you forever. Rides and eats save on whatever. Okay, Donna. Your milkshakes cost way less than before. This membership is better. Hey, yo, you like milkshakes? How does the fox save? Oh, ho, ho. Don't do that. Diddy, about to get it, Jamal. Captain Diddy, the one. Everyone saves me. Saves me. Way more. Diddy is excited. that one that was pretty good wow. okay so the last one i don't know why this has uh, it has subtitles in it but okay it has subtitles in it but it's the uh, breaking bad crew for um well you'll see yo these are the bomb and they're air popped not fried popcorners you're an artist actually jesse it's just basic ingredients no, we don't eat our own supply. Mr. White! Jesse. Everyone's gonna want to taste. 
And I know just the guy to talk to. What are these? We call them popcorners. Say their name. <laughs> popcorners! Time! 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 Yeah! How much of this stuff do you have? We've got six signature flavors, y'all. Seven! You make seven! Seven. Seven works. Yeah. Popcorners break into something good. We're gonna eat a lot of snacks together. <laughs> Mine is uttered several times in the newsroom every day. What's that? Say my name? Well, do you do that one? No, we're gonna eat a lot of snacks oh, I together. <laughs> I thought you walked around the newsroom and said, say my name. <laughs> no, I haven't done that yet. I know. Maybe okay. later. That was good stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, if you're watching the uh, Super Bowl, I don't know. You want to be outside on Sunday a little bit? What's gonna What's it gonna be like? No, I think Sunday's a perfect day for a Super Bowl. Actually, oh, so Saturday's the day to get outside and enjoy. Sunday, not so much. Perfect timing. Yeah, that's great. Okay, super. But tomorrow, yes, sunshine super. and more spring-like weather. We'll take that. Thanks very much, you guys. Thanks for watching, everybody at home. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.